All right, so we are continuing on in our Hebrews series, walking through the book of Hebrews tonight. And I want you to imagine with me just for a minute, okay? Imagine that we're just sitting here. It's kind of dark like it is right now. And we're just kind of chilling. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this angel just like appears over the baptismal and just starts floating like right here in front of me. And it's so bright, it makes these spotlights look like they're not even doing a thing. And it causes us to like put our hands up like this and cover our faces and squint our eyes or close them because it's just so insanely bright. And he says something and his voice is so loud, we have to actually cover our ears because it's hurting your eardrums. And you're just like shaken by like his voice. It's so intense. And just to be like in the room, you can feel this like presence. You can't explain, but it's rattling you to the core just to even be here. And just it happens like this. In an instant, he just appears. We're singing worship and we're praising. And all of a sudden, there's just this angel. And it's so bright and so intense, so loud and so powerful that we recognize it. And we think, man, I am really weak in comparison to that powerful being that's floating in front of us. And there is like this fear that's just like strikes you. And maybe it causes you to fall down on your knees. Like God sent an angel in the middle of this worship that we're doing and we're singing out to God. And so here's this messenger that's in front of us and all of us just kind of like fall on our faces. We don't know what else to do because we're in the presence of something so powerful that none of us and all of us together don't even compare to this being. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine how insane that would be if that happened. All throughout the Bible, we see a similar thing happen at different times where an angel would appear to people. That he would show up at just a certain moment that God was marking as a special moment in history, and it would bring a message to the people. And as it appeared, people would just start falling on their faces. And so often, not just fear, but this like reverence that would cause them even to, to start to worship this angel because they saw how powerful it was. Each time, the angel would stop them and say, don't you dare worship me. I'm nothing in comparison to the one who is to come. Stand up, stop worshiping me, and worship God alone. And so as we're walking through Hebrews, like we've already seen how incredible Jesus is. We're only on verse four tonight, all right? In the last two weeks, we've only looked at three verses and it's just been all about Jesus. And I told you guys that this book, Hebrews, it has a message that keeps repeating over and over. The big idea of this book is Jesus is better than everything. And so as we saw Jesus, how he is the radiance of God's glory, how he is the exact imprint of God, we realize he is God himself. He's not just some man. He's not lesser than. He is fully God. Jesus is the most powerful being all of existence. And as we talk about Jesus tonight, the author of Hebrews is kind of comparing something really powerful that mankind has 
at different times throughout history, been able to see angels, right? When I say the word angel, there are images that immediately appear to your head. There are things you think of when I say angel, and it's usually probably powerful. And so the author's like, think of an angel, right? Think of its power. Think of how brilliant and beautiful an angel is. It is so much stronger than any human being, and it doesn't even compare with Jesus. It doesn't hold a candle to Jesus. And so we're going to look tonight, we're in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. I want to read this to you guys. Listen to what the author says. He says, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. There is a big statement made by the author of Hebrews tonight about who Jesus is and who angels are. And so I'm going to walk you through just a few verses that are going to help us understand more what an angel actually is. Some of you guys might be confused about who angels are, what they are. And so let's look at a couple verses that will help us understand angels. First of all, they're spirit beings that have a form. Like they're not just this mysterious thought or idea. They're not this like spooky like haze or fog that floats around. They actually have a form. When people see them, they see a form of a person. Angels have a form and they're also at the same time spirit beings. It's hard for us to understand, but Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For, so, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Like they were even mistaken for people, for humans, because they have a form that could be mistaken for a human. Matthew 28, 3 and 4. It says, His appearance was like lightning. And his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Here's, he's describing an angel and his form. This unbelievably powerful form. But they're noticeable. They're not just an idea. Something else about angels is that they were all created directly by God. They do not live, they have not lived forever. It's not like angels have been around as long as God has been around. There was a moment where God created angels, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. It says, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven, that's where angels are, right? And on earth, where we are, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Anything that exists was created by God. God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's the, that's the only being that has always been, that has no beginning and no end. So even angels have a beginning. They were created by God. They were also, they're unable to procreate. Like they can't have babies or families. Matthew twenty-two thirty says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So we know that angels aren't a species that procreates. They're ministers of God. 
They're intelligent. All throughout the Bible, we see God commanding angels to do things, to bring messages, and they're able to perform these tasks that show their intelligence, their ability to think and reason, their ability to perform things that God has asked of them. So they're not these just just like mysterious forces. They're actually intelligent beings. They have emotions. Luke 15.10, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. They have the ability to feel joy and to rejoice, so they, they do experience emotion. They can speak. Galatians 1.8 says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. They have the ability to bring messages and to literally speak. They have incredible speed, all right? This one's kind of cool. Daniel 9, 21. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, an angel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Their power and speed is beyond anything we can think of. These beings that God has created are so incredible. And he, also, you need to know that they have a special home, all right? Angels, Mark 13, 32, it says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. It keeps referring to this heavenly realm as their home. Jude 1, 6, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling. So there are two places angels live, either in heaven with God or those who abandoned God, what we call demons or fallen angels who rebelled against God, have abandoned their home in heaven and have been cast to the earth. They now circle this globe, live here among us, influence us, plague us. There is a spiritual war that we talk about a lot, and it is those, those beings that are here influencing our minds and hearts to believe certain messages believe you, you need to believe this, that angels are not just this like floaty thing that like it looks really good on a postcard and maybe you put it on a bookmark in your Bible or they make a really cool doll to put on your shelf. They are intelligent beings and those that have fallen are here to convince you to abandon your faith in God. That's their mission. The number of angels has been the same since creation. God hasn't created more. Revelation 5.11 says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. God, when he ceased to work on the seventh day and rested, that includes making more angels. There are more powerful than man, right? These angels... In Ephesians 6, 10 to 11, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There's a reason why we can't just face these temptations and these angels that have fallen on our own. We're not strong enough. And so God has given us a way to do that. He's given us armor that's spiritual, that's from him, so that his power can stand in the way. Because if we were to face these demons alone, we would be massacred. There's no standing up against them or the temptation or their schemes without God's armor. They are far more powerful than you and I. And they are highly organized. Ephesians 6.12 tells us, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like they are an organized army and they have a mission and it is to destroy your faith. It is to steal the glory that God has created you to give to God. It is to wreck you, to convince you that you are worthless. Convince you that God has made trash when he made you. To convince you to harm yourself or end your life. Do not be mistaken. Fallen angels, demons are organized in a way to destroy you. There are many people, especially teenagers today, like the shows that are out for you to watch about witchcraft and about all these like different demonic things that so many of us take so lightly and we just think it's funny or it's cool or it's trendy or whatever you think it is that has a really good plot. Who do you think is behind that? The way that they influence music, the way that they influence the arts, the way that they influence all the things that we love, even our phones, there is influence It is organized. They're smarter than us, stronger than us, faster than us, and they are working together over thousands of years. (laughs) And their goal is to destroy you. Be careful what you watch. Careful what you listen to. Be careful what you let influence your mind and your heart because there is an army at work aiming to destroy you. Angels, they minister to God and to his saints. And they also do God's bidding. Matthew 4.11 says, Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. See, they were sent by God to bring the old covenant to mankind. So angels' purpose was to go to the people before Jesus came and bring them this old covenant, this law, this message that God loves you. Yes, there's an army out to take you out, but God loves you and he wants a covenant with you and he's made a way to protect you, to restore your life, to protect you from these these demons that are after your soul. It tells us in Acts 7, 51 to 53, you stiff-necked people, he's talking to Israel, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. He was there, he was there uh, even a prophet. Your ancestors did not persecute. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Like they brought this old covenant to mankind. How often do you think of the existence of, of angels. If you're like me, probably not often. And that's okay. But we do need to realize that there is a spiritual war that is happening all around us every single second of every single day, and you are smack dab in the middle of it. And as you go through your life and you're just thinking, man, the biggest thing I have to worry about today is just school and like the sport that I play. Like, or what am I going to say to my friends when I get to lunch? You know, like our problems kind of end up like around there, and then we're like, we're oblivious to what's actually lurking around the corner in the dark shadows of life. 
we forget that there is something so much bigger. There is a plot that is happening that is so much bigger than what you and I think is actually happening. And so we just go along and ignore it almost with blinders on. Like, I don't want to think about that. It's scary. I don't want to know where I'm at. I don't want to face reality. There are people all over this globe today in revival. I don't know if you've been watching the news, but people's eyes are starting to open up to the fact that there is something bigger than us out there, that we're a part of something huge, that God has this plan, that there is a war over our souls. And so people are turning their hearts over to Jesus and saying, I need you. I need you. I realize I am in the middle of something bigger than I could ever handle on my own. The Jewish people in the Old Testament they start in the, the New Testament, sorry, after Jesus, they started to believe these kind of twisted things. They would look at angels, and because of the kind of the power of them, right, and the, the, the glory that they have as they declare God's glory, people would look at them and think, wow, that's like a, a little G God. Like, that, that angel is so powerful. Maybe I should worship this angel. And so that idea started to mix itself up with Christianity started to mingle its way into the church, and people started to actually worship angels alongside of Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews is like, listen, angels are powerful. They're all those things that we just said. And if you don't know God, if you don't have a relationship with God, the fallen angels, yeah, they should definitely scare you. You should never bow your knee to anyone or anything but God himself. And so he writes this book and this letter, and in this part, he's correcting that idea that they have in their minds that they should bow before an angel and worship it. They thought that angels were this, like, kind of like this Senate. You know how our government is set up with, like, a president and a House of Representatives and the, the Senate, and they would all come together and kind of make decisions. And so they started to think God was, like, the president, and then, like, these angels would come around him as little gods, and they would kind of rule creation. And the author of Hebrews is like, that, that's not true at all. Angels don't have that type of authority. They are created by God. They do God's bidding. And so he's trying to correct this error in their thinking so that when they see an angel, they're not comparing it to Jesus and going, hmm, they look about the same to me. Colossians 2.18 says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. So Paul is like, listen, there are people starting to worship beings that shouldn't be worshipped. Don't be one of them. Don't fall into angel worship. So look with me in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4, and see what it says here. It says, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus has become superior to the angels. When it uses the word become, the word is, I'm going to give you a little Greek word, all right, because I like languages, ginomai. Ginomai is this word that does not mean that he was created. Ginomai means like to turn into, to switch positions. And so when it's talking about Jesus here, it's not saying Jesus was a created being in any way, but as he took flesh, and became 100% God and 100% man at the same time, and blew our minds, like, how can that be? In that moment, he inherited something unbelievable, it says. Right? 
He inherited everything. The thing, the very creation that Jesus is responsible for creating became his because he paid the price for our sin and our brokenness. And so what it's saying here is that no angel could ever do that. No angel is powerful enough or strong enough to be able to pay that type of sacrifice. There is one who can do it. His name is Jesus. Jesus has the authority over all things. And so here, he clearly says, listen, he is superior to angels just as he's inherited the name. So he, not just now, as he's come to earth and died on the cross and rose again, but forever has been. He inherited from eternity past this quality, this attribute of being far superior, unmatchable, incomparable, There is no comparison between Jesus and even the most powerful angel. Now, let me remind you who Satan was. Satan was the most powerful angel. And as he looked at Jesus, his heart swelled with pride. As he looked at God, he desired to be like God, to have the power of God. And so as he rebelled and took a third of the angels with him from heaven, that sin swelled up in his heart, desiring to be worshipped the way that God was worshipped. And this author is saying there isn't even a comparison. Satan himself thought there was. It's apples and oranges. Jesus is so much better. Verse 5, it says this. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today, I've become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. So what he's doing here is he's quoting Old Testament passages. And he's saying, when did God look down at an angel and call an angel his son? Never. But how many times has God looked down? Think of the baptism of Jesus when God looks down and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Right? No angel could ever claim that. God himself declared from the heavens that Jesus is God. Angels are his creation. You are my son, God says to Jesus in Psalm 2-7. Today I've become your father. And then in verse 6, it says this. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now when it says that He is the firstborn. It doesn't mean like this chronological order of when Jesus came into existence. We know that Jesus has been around for eternity. He does not have a beginning, but the word firstborn was actually a legal term. They'd use it in court, and firstborn would represent the, the child that would inherit all of the things of his father. And so what it's declaring here is that Jesus is God, and as God, he inherits everything, including angels, including these powerful, incredible beings that if they showed up tonight, we'd fall on our faces before them in just fear, reverence. You pick it. Jesus owns them. Jesus is above them the way he's above you and I. There is no comparison. Man, as I think about like descriptions of angels and how incredible and powerful and amazing they are, and then to know that Jesus Christ is so much better. 
not just so much better, but like there literally is no comparison. It blows my mind to think about how he could love me. If you're that big, if you're that strong, if you're that perfect, if you're that amazing and that glorious, what on earth makes you want to love me? Have you seen me? Do you know how broken I am? I don't deserve your love. Why would a being that is that unbelievable care about me? Why would he ever care enough to go and be nailed onto a cross where he would suffer and suffocate and die? Be buried in a tomb for me. Can you imagine why he would do it for you? Jesus is so unbelievable. He's so incredible. He is far superior to angels. And here it says this. God looks out over heaven and he declares, let all God's angels worship. He's talking about Jesus. The Father declares that every angel that he has created, every minister of God, these spirit ministers, as powerful as they are, from the weakest to the strongest, would all bow down and worship his son, Jesus Christ. If angels worship him with all of their glory and power, do you? Do you bow before Jesus? Does your heart look up to Jesus and acknowledge his strength? Acknowledge his love? Acknowledge how great and unbelievable he is? And then fall down on your knees before him, recognizing how unworthy we are. Saying, Jesus, if angels worship you, take me. Here I am. I'm so far inferior to an angel. God, I need you. I need you to take my heart, take my life. And when I say life, I mean all of it. Every breath, take every second. God, take all of me and let it be worshipped to you. I take the sin that's in my life and I toss it aside and I turn away from it and I walk after you, Jesus. I am not worthy of what you've done for me. When you think about who Jesus is, does your heart bow down in worship? You know, when we sing these songs up here that we sing each week, are you just singing music? Or is your heart fluttering to heaven thinking about how unbelievably incredible and beautiful your Savior is? that he would die for people like us. And then your heart responds in worship and praise, and it comes from your heart and comes out of your mouth, and you sing at the top of your lungs, and you don't care what the people around you hear, whether you're on key or off, and you just want to sing and tell Jesus, you are worth it. No one else is worthy like you are worthy. Even angels bow at your feet, and they echo holy. So here I am. Hear my heart. Hear my voice, Jesus. When I declare, I love you. 
you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. I just want to ask you as we sing this next song, if you would just take a moment, just talk to God and ask him, Lord, how do I view you? How does my heart respond when I think of you, the creator of heaven and earth? When I sing and these words come out of my mouth, are they, is it just music? Or does it come from a heart because I say, God, you're worthy. Jesus, you're better than anything I could ever imagine. And tonight, I want to invite you to open your eyes, maybe for the first time, and really see who Jesus is.